You're listening to the First Corinthians When Immaturity Meets Worldliness series preached by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Take your Bibles, if you would, and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning. This is uh, a continuation from last week. We've been working our way through the book of Corinthians. We've been in chapter 7 for a long, long time, longer than I anticipated, um, and we really need to finish it this morning because we have the junior church coming in next week, okay? And uh, the topics are a little bit more heavy and complicated, and so we'll continue from last week, and we'll move our way through this chapter, Lord willing, this morning, and then prepare to celebrate a baptism. Last week we said that uh, the truth of God's Word ought to transform us. As we gather together as believers this morning, we need to understand as we look at God's word, as we look at his truth, that truth should just not roll off our backs, but it should transform us. It should be changing each and every one of us. And for whatever reason, oftentimes we, we hear truth and we're not impacted by it. Whether we, we don't know or we don't possess it's a sad state in Christianity that many believers don't even open their Bible when they leave church on Sunday. They have no idea of the magnificent truth of God's Word. For many of us, maybe we know it, but we don't ponder it. We, we don't think about what this truth is and, and how it applies to us and how it affects our lives. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to remind us of the truth that Paul gave us to deal with this chapter and deal with our Christian lives, and then to move on, add a truth, and then move on and finish the chapter. Um, it, it, is, it is typical of Paul, throughout his writings, to do something very interesting that's helpful for all of us. Uh, he will give you um, an indicative. It, it, it's, it's a command. Uh, no, a statement of fact. I'm sorry. He'll give you a, a statement of fact. He'll say something like, you know, you are a saint. You are a child of God. He'll make this statement of fact And then on that statement of fact, he'll give you an imperative which says, because of this truth, this is what you ought to do. This is how you should live. This should change your life. And so, as we go through this morning, I really want you to understand these truths, these facts from the Word of God, but not just understand them. I mean, get them. Absorb them. Glory in them. Understand the truth of them, because if we do, we, we won't have an option, we won't have a choice, we will have to be transformed by that truth. Okay? So let me give you an example. We said last week that the truth that Paul gives is he begins to talk about this certain situation, about circumstances, about marriage, about intimacy, about singleness, about widows. We'll talk about those things again. But he reminded the Corinthian believers of this truth. First and foremost, he said, you are purchased. You are redeemed. B.B. Warfield said this, Christianity is a redemptive religion. And what he meant by that is this, Christianity is for sinners. Now this morning I have good news for you. If you are not a sinner, then you don't need Christianity. You're free. You're off the hook. But this morning, if there has ever been one time in your life when you have not loved the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, 
If there's been ever one time in your life when you put something else in his place that you adored, that you lived for, that you longed after. If ever one time in your life you took his name in vain and used it as an adjective because you were frustrated or irritated. If ever one time in your life you didn't honor him with a day set aside to adore him. If ever one time in your life as a teenager or a young person you rolled your eyes at your parents, you slammed a door, you were disrespectful, you disobeyed them. If ever one time in your life you had a murderous thought, you were angry without a cause at that guy who cut in front of you in Tim Hortons. Jesus says those are the seeds of murder within. If ever one time in your life you lusted after a man or a woman that you were not in a covenant relationship with. If ever one time in your life you lied about anything, anything. Sweetheart, what did you think of dinner tonight that I prepared? If ever one time you coveted, you wanted something that wasn't yours, and you wanted it bad, and you even wish someone who had it didn't have it, then the idea of not being a sinner doesn't apply to you. Because James says if we break God's law in one point, we're guilty of all of it. I think the problem for the church today is we've forgotten that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We need an atonement that removes sin, that delivers from sin, and that reconciles to God. And so this morning, the Bible has concluded all of us as sinners, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and then steps in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says that He is our redemption. He's, he shed His blood for our sins. This is what Jesus has done. And Jesus, by His redemption, by His sacrifice, has paid the price. We can be released from sin and guilt. We can be redeemed and made whole. We who are enemy combatants of God can now be reconciled to Him. And that's truth. Okay? And so here's how this works. If you're here this morning and you hear that and you, you know that and you, yeah, I guess, you've got to allow that to permeate your heart so that it finally changes you where you say, God, I am a sinner in need of salvation. I am underneath your wrath. I am underneath your condemnation. I can't be good enough, smart enough, funny enough, uh, altruistic enough. I can't do enough to merit your favor. I need your grace. I need your mercy. Oh, God. I repent. Oh God, save me. That's how truth works. And for those of us who know this truth that we are purchased, should it not change us? Should, should we not be humbled by the fact that we are sinners like everybody else, like the worst of sinners we can think of, it's in us, and yet by God's grace he reached down and saved me? Should it not fill us with joy? Should it not... Should it not Help us to, to long to see other people know that truth as well. We are purchased. We belong to God. We have been redeemed by his blood. Let that sink in. 
And I know we, I, I wish we could sit here for a few minutes and just let it sink in. We have to move on. But jot it down, go back to it today, that you are redeemed, you are purchased. The second truth that Paul talked about is the fact that all that we know, this world, is passing away. And this is truth. You know it's truth. My grandmother was, we didn't know at the time, it was a different world 30 years ago or 40-something years ago, but my grandmother at the time was a hoarder. We never made movies about it or TV reality shows when I was a kid. But they'd lived through the Great Depression. And so they were, they were hoarders. And my grandmother had a 1967 Impala that I loved. I, I loved the car. I was, I was, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12, and I wanted that car. And I told my grandmother, Grandma, listen, I will buy she never she didn't she didn't use it, she didn't drive it. It sat in her here driveway and she let her dog sleep in it. Mm. And you wonder why I have issues with animals today. Um, <laughs> but I do like pigs. I love pigs. Delicious. Delicious. Um, but, but she said, no, she said, Rick, this is going to be an antique. In, in 10 more years, or something, it's going to be an antique. I got to tell you something. That car with those dogs went to pot. It wasn't worth anything. It passed away. And the truth is, all things that we know and feel and experience and touch, everything, ourselves included, are passing away. And again, this truth that you want to ignore this morning needs to resonate in your heart to change you. It is true. You're passing away. And before you leave this planet, you better make sure that you're reconciled back to God. Because the Bible records only two places, heaven and hell. There's no purgatory, there's no in-between. It's heaven and hell, period. So with this truth, life is passing away. I need to make some decisions about that. And for the believer, it should change our eternal perspective. If this is true, if all these things are passing away, then what's most important in my life should be the things that are eternal. Okay? So again, I wish we could stay here. I wish we had the time. Write this down, put it away. The second truth is everything's passing away. Let me give you the third truth as we, we delve into um, marriage and singleness again this morning. And it's this, that Paul tells us the truth of our personal identity. And I got to tell you, he started the book this way, and I think we've forgotten this. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, Okay, tell me, when, when I say Corinthian believers, just, just in a nominal kind of, okay, Corinthians, what's the first couple thoughts that come to your mind when I say a Corinthian believer or the Corinthian church, good or bad? Real bad? Real bad. I mean, freaky, weird, bad. Okay? Bad. This was a church that was really messed up. Do you remember what Paul calls them in chapter 1, verse 2? He says, called to be saints. That's weird. These people are messed up. What is he saying? They're, you're saints? You're sanctified? You're set apart? You're something cherished by God? He's talking about their position, their standing in Christ. Because of Christ's redemption, they have a new identity. They are not what they used to be. And even though they've blown it so far, they are still in Christ. Their identity has changed. It's called union with Christ. Let me read something for you quickly. This is from Brian Chappell in his book, Holiness by Grace. He says this. 
He says, some of us, because of our sin, lack of progress, or comparison with others, have determined ourselves to be spiritually stupid or even hated by God. Thus, in the Bible, God tells us our true status and ability. Because of our union with Christ, we are not hated. Weakness, wrongdoings, and failures cling to us, yes, but they do not establish who we are. We are the beloved of God. Uh, Though sin still exists in our lives, we have the status of the one who gave his life for us and to us, God's own son. And because of the love of that child who now indwells us, we have the ability to change and progress in our Christian walk. Yes, there is still work to do. But as we seek to obey our God, we must remember that we can obey him because of who we are. We are God's beloved children for whom he gave his son and to whom he has given his spirit. As the Bible says, how great is the love of the Father he's lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God and that is what we are. And so, Paul says, before we go on here, I want you to remember your identity, who you are. We live in a crazy world today, do we not? If you don't think so, then get out from underneath your rock and look around. Okay? And, and we have done something tragic in our world. We, we have put ourselves in these categories that are vain and empty. People now say, well, I'm gay, I'm lesbian, I'm transgender, I'm bisexual, I am straight. And that's my identity. Can you hear how tragic that is, that that's the only thing I am? That's my identity. That's who I am. We, we boil it down to sexuality. It's not our identity. That's not who we are. And for the believer, we've got to be careful. We tend to do the same thing. We put ourselves in categories and say, well, I'm black, I'm white, I'm rich, I'm poor, um, I'm married, I'm single. I'm a Browns fan. Who would say that? <laughs> but I, I might become a Cavs fan now. I, I might be if they start winning. And I know I, I was going to jump in with the, the Maple Leafs, but I know this is their year. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was low. I'm sorry. <laughs> thought I'd take it. Okay. Listen, some of these things can change, but I want you to know something this morning. Your identity in Jesus Christ never changes. You need to get that today. Christian, we need to get who we are. We're beloved. We are children of God. We're redeemed. We're purchased. He's lavished his love upon us. And we can't forget that because we're going to go through some areas here that if we're not careful... We get this myopia, this myopic vision that I'm just married or I'm just single. No, stop with that. Don't categorize yourself like that. We're believers. Who are you? You're a child of God. And it is a game changer. Game changer. So let's look at our text this morning. And uh, with those truths implanted now in our heads and our, hopefully our hearts, uh, we said last week that Paul was being very pastoral here. Almost as if he grabbed a cup of coffee and sat down and, and, and just being honest, right? Just like, okay, let's talk about these issues. No pretense, no facade. Let's tell the truth about issues like marriage, singleness, widows, remarriage, okay? 
We said last week for our first cup of coffee, we sat down and talked about marriage. Quickly review. He said, first off, verse 29, if you're there, he says, but this I say, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as those that they have none. Uh, that's, that's wrong. Okay, verse 28. I always put 29. It's wrong. Verse 28 says, nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. He was talking about marriage there. And what he says is, marriage, if we're honest, there's trouble. It, this Hollywood idea that I romantically fall in love and it, you know, we, we ride off in a carriage and every morning we wake up and it's like, no, that's not reality. Paul said we're meshing these two lives together. We're, we're, some have a background of Beverly Hills and others are Beverly Hillbillies. And we clash and it's a terrible, it, it's an explosive thing at times. And then when we talk about the purpose of marriage, we understand that it's a full-length mirror, that this marriage exposes who I am now. I can't hide my selfishness. I can't hide my anger. I can't hide my sloth, right? Marriage reveals to me as I'm in a relationship doing life together that this is who I really am. And so it can be hard. He says marriage will have problems. Number two, he said marriage is to please the other. It's no longer about you. Men, be men. Quit being little boys. Grow up. Women, quit running around like you're a little princess. Be a, a wife or a mother, whatever God's called you to do. In marriage, it's not about you. It's to please the other person. And then it changes our perspective. Okay? That's the last thing we talked about, that now that I have a family as a married person, my perspective does change. I have to worry about other things than just myself. And, and that's what Paul is telling us here. Now, look with me, if you would, at verse number 7. I'm going to make some statements about singleness. This is where we left off last week. And I want to reiterate this and, and hopefully give as much time to this as I did to marriage last week because it's important. Look at verse number 7 of our text in 1 Corinthians 7. Paul says, and remember, he's been talking about marriage and singleness, celibacy. And in verse number 7, he says, For I would that all men were even as I myself. And Paul is single. So he said, I, I wish you were like I was. And then he says, But every man hath his proper gift of God. And so what he's telling us is, I'm single, it's a gift. Some are married, it's a gift. Now, now as we go through this, understand this. He, he, he's telling us the truth that both of these positions have advantages and disadvantages. Okay? But Paul, the first thing I want you to notice is that Paul's singleness is not bad, it's a gift. And some of you are thinking right now, I'm going to re-gift this. Because I, 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 don't, I don't want this gift. It's like the two boys who were... Who were fighting over a toy, right? And the older brother wouldn't share with the younger brother, and they're ah, back and forth. And the mother finally sat them down and said, hey, listen, boys, what would Jesus do? And they said, ah, Jesus would share his toys. And that's exactly right. So she said, now, therefore, and the oldest said to the youngest, okay, Johnny, you be Jesus, okay? <laughs> right? And that's what some of us think. We, we think, um, this is not a gift. And I, I hate to say this, but I think the church has, has perpetuated this idea. And tacitly, we have said to our singles in our midst, you know, you're not complete. Maybe we've all said this. Man, she's such a great girl. He's such a good guy. Why aren't they married yet? Why hasn't no one snagged them yet? And, and I guess we're just trying to, I don't know what we're trying to do, but you know what it's saying? What's wrong with that person? Because only the great ones are married. And that's not what the Bible says. 
ever, ever. Paul says, this is a gift. And, and some of our singles have the same attitude, and they act like, well, real life starts when I do get married. Wrong. Real life starts now. Now. And so Paul says, I want you to understand, this is a gift. It's not bad. And, and Paul is using the example of his own life here. And we, we all know that the founder of our faith chose a single life. So he says, hey, when we talk about singles, not bad, it's a gift. Number two, I want you to notice the beauty of singleness. Okay? And listen to me. It doesn't matter where you're at this morning, single or married, just listen to what's being said because I want to lay down the idea of why Paul says these things, okay? So I want you to see the beauty of singleness. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 32 should be the next one up. And Paul says, this is a great mystery, but I speak of concerning Christ and the church. Okay, so what is Ephesians 5 about? Do you recall? Do you remember the end of it? Wives submit, husbands love. It's about marriage. What Paul is saying is, I'm going to tell you a mystery. Here's the mystery of marriage. Marriage reflects a heavenly reality. Okay? And here's the reality. It's the reality of Christ's loving devotion and union to his church. That's the reality of marriage. If you ever get an a, a, uh, anniversary card from me, I often will write, May your marriage display the love of Christ for his church. And that's the purpose. It, 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 it reflects for us the beauty of Christ loving his church. That's what marriage is supposed to do. Which, which, and a side note, can I just go there for a second? That means that our homes should be reflecting the same thing. Young families, listen to me. Your home should be a miniature church where there's love, compassion, forgiveness, spirituality, tenderly leading people along. If it's not, you're blowing a great analogy for them. Because they're going to think church is just like their family. It's hypocrisy and bitterness and unforgiveness. In this relationship, um, it is not yet reality. Marriage is a beautiful picture, but it's not yet. They say, oh, that's great, Pastor. Marriage, we got it. It's a beautiful picture. Where does it leave the single? I'm glad you asked. Because for the single life, it too uniquely highlights the church's love and devotion to Christ. The single Christian shows the engaged, chaste bride devoted to Christ. That's the idea. Just as marriage has a picture, singleness has a picture. And the single individual is saying, listen, I am a spouse to Christ. And here's the beauty of this picture. This is not a futuristic picture. This is a picture for right now. And what the single is saying who is devoted to Christ is this. Christ is better. Christ is sufficient. Christ is all I need. I am content with him. And so there's the beauty of that picture. And then quickly, just notice the benefits of the church. We talked about this briefly last week, Matthew 19, 29, where, where, he, where Jesus says to the disciples who have left everything, listen, you will get hundredfold, mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers. And so, in this singleness, we see the beauty when it, when it is incorporated in the church. Because we need single men and women. We need married men and women. We need those who are widowed. We need those who have been divorced. We, we need all of that. And the church should be a place where worthy men and women come together and they grow. Okay? 
And so, now let's look at verses 34 and 35. Paul's going to tell us reasons to stay single. And again, just so that you know, you can read through the text here. He is not trying to put a noose on someone's neck. He's not making someone be single, making someone get married. That's not what he's doing. He as a pastor now is taking the situation. They're in a distressful time. We're not sure what, but they are. And now he's saying, listen, here's some advantages for being single. Look at verse 34. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, uh, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, for that I may, uh, not that I may cast a snare upon you or a noose around your neck, but for that which is comely or appropriate, and that ye may attain unto the Lord without distraction. Okay? And so he says, here's the first reason to stay single, because it spares you from the difficulty of family life. We talked about that a little bit last week, about family life, but listen to me. As a single individual, and this is Paul, sitting down, cup of coffee, talking now, he says, hey, if you're single, one advantage that you have is this, that you are spared from the difficulty of family life. You don't have to worry about anyone else. You're not worried about milk for a family. You're not worried about bread. You're not worried about buying a recorder for the fifth time. You're not worried about university bills. There's some freedom there, and there is, and it's just practical. The single individual can go to the rib fest and spend 20 bucks and be fed. The married person with a family of six takes out a small loan. It's Right? It's reality. And so Paul says, there, you are spared from the difficulties because there are. Both have advantages, both have disadvantages, but Paul says, listen, there's something about single life that I'm free from that. And it can be a good thing. Especially when it comes to serving Christ. In 2 Corinthians 11, we won't turn there, but you're familiar with the text, verses 23 through 28. Paul is telling about the struggles he's had. And he says, listen, I have been beaten, I've been whipped, I've been stoned, I've been left for dead, I was in the deep, a night and a day, um, I was in perils often, in hungers, and thirsty, and naked, and all these things. And listen to me, when Paul said that, and when he experienced that, he never once worried about a wife or kids. And he had freedom there. It makes a difference. And so Paul says, I'm encouraging those to stay single because of this distress this is practical advice. And then he says that you can serve the Lord without distraction. To take your time, your talent, your treasures for the kingdom of God. Okay, now let me caution our single folks this morning. Do not be self-centered. When I just said, hey, you can, you're, without this distraction, you can serve the Lord without distraction. If we're not careful, in our society, we have a whole group of single individuals that their life now has morphed into them. And they now are the center of the universe. Like, well, I'm single and I'm free. Wait a minute. That's not your identity. We've talked about this. You are a believer in Christ. That's your identity. And that life is a life of love and giving of yourself for all of us. And so, be careful. Don't get wrapped up in self-centeredness. And it's difficult, especially if you've been on your own for a long time. And Paul says, don't do that. And then, don't allow yourself to be swallowed up in self-pity. Listen to me this morning. Even this morning, if you're not content with your singleness, with where you're at, you can still know the, the joy of God's love. And you can still rejoice in him. 
And that's the whole idea of this chapter, that no matter what our circumstances, no matter what's going on in our lives, in the center of who I am, there is joy, there is peace, there is love, and I can find joy with my God in any situation. The whole chapter talks about that, right? And so this morning, to our church family, our church needs our single adults. Our church loves our single adults. Maybe sometimes we don't understand our single adults, and we need a better job of that. But this church would be incomplete without them. That's what Paul says. We have verse number 36 this morning as we work our way through. I've got to hurry. I get extra time for the technical difficulty, though. Okay? Quickly, just real quick. Verses 36 through 38 are very difficult passages of Scripture. The truth is, there's like three different kind of translations on what this means. Let's read it. And, and I think we're, we're on board here. Let's look at verse 36. But if any man think that he behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age, and need so require, let him do what he will, he sinneth not, let him marry. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he shall keep his virgin, uh, doeth well. So then he that doeth, or giveth her in marriage, doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage, doeth better. Okay, quickly, there are three thoughts here. The one is that Paul is talking about a father who has a virgin daughter who's not yet married, and, and he's dealing with that. I don't think that's true. The other one is Paul's talking about a group of Christians who were single and living with each other, but living a celibate life. I don't think that's true either. I think what Paul is talking about here is what we said earlier. He's talking about individuals who are engaged. Because you remember in Corinth, what they're saying is, hey, marriage isn't spiritual. We're more spiritual because we're not married or celibate. And so they're telling all these engaged folks, listen, I know you're engaged. I know you've been waiting. I know you have the date set, but don't do it. And Paul's saying, okay, let me correct some ideas here. And this is what he does here. Let me give you three truths about this passage. Number one. Paul is realistic about sexual drive. If you read the passage, it's what he's talking about there. He's realistic about sexual drive. Now listen to me. A caution for first-generation parents. You got saved in your 20s or 30s, and, and so, so now you're saved, and now you're, you're raising teenagers who have been brought up in a church and, and made a profession of faith, and here's what you think. You think because you weren't saved in your teenage years and they are saved now in their teenage years, they would never do what you did in your teenage years physically. Uh, <laughs> right? We think that. God did not save their hormones. They're still flesh. Right? Listen, I have three boys um, and my wife's blood runs through their veins. Okay? I, I have... I had to say that. <laughs> They're the same as we are. And Paul says, listen to me. These folks, were in, he said, don't be engaged for 20 years. He said, if, if you feel you're inappropriate in this engagement, then get married. Just get married. That's what he says, okay? He understands that. And, and, and he says, be a worthy man, be a, a worthy woman, okay? Number two, Paul expects our sexual purity. In our culture, we have this idea, and Christians have this idea. We're engaged, so it's all good. That's not what Paul said. 
Paul said you better get married. And, and, and listen, I know, I know our world mocks and laughs at virginity. I was 17 years old, joined the military. And uh, can I tell you something? Guys are jerks. If you didn't know that, guys are jerks. Yeah, almost all of them. Yeah, all of them. Okay, at some time or other, they're, you get a bunch of guys in a platoon in the military at 17 years old, start talking, right? So sex comes up. Like, hey, you know, 17 years old, I was a virgin. One married. And I got mocked. Mocked. Because my wife and I were waiting for each other. I know how this world works. But Paul says, hey, listen, either behave yourself appropriately or get married. He expects sexual purity. For, it's for all believers. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. And you can laugh and you can joke and say, oh, God, you know, it's a killjoy and you're prude and you're, you should have been born in the Victorian age. I've been at this long enough. I've been counseling now for... 24 years, and I could tell you scores of people who come, and they're still struggling with skeletons in their closet, comparisons with intimate relationships, diseases. So you can joke, but Paul says, listen to me, this is important. He expects purity. And God is not a killjoy, but you know what God knows? God knows that sex is more than just physical. It's spiritual. It's emotional. You're not made to be ripping it apart back and forth like that. And then finally, Paul acknowledges celibacy. He says, hey, if you can do it, do it. It's for you to make up your mind, not the church. The church doesn't say, I think you should be a celibate priest or pastor. No, that's an individual choice. Let's clear up the, the, the chapter now. Um, verse number 39. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to marry to whom she will only in the Lord. Okay? And he says, hey, listen, if, if, you've, if your spouse died, you are free to marry. But he makes a point. Marry a believer. It's important. And don't try to find somebody who you're going to try to convert into a believer. Find a believer. That's what he says. And, and then marry. But, but even with this, he says, watch what he says. He says, only in the Lord, but she is happier, verse 40, if she so abide after my judgment. Paul says, you can do that, but he says, if you stayed single, you might be happier. And let me just throw something out here for you to think about. Um, I was talking to a godly man weeks ago. We were talking about chapter 7, talking about marriage and divorce. And, and he has some kids, and he said to me, he said, I've had ladies approach me, and they have children, and they want to have a relationship. Nothing wrong with that. They're Christians, I'm Christian. And here's what he said to me, and I think it was so profound. He said, but this is what I know. I know I will always like my kids better than her kids. He's being honest. Can mixed families work? Absolutely. And by God's grace, they do, and they're wonderful. But Paul says, listen, you better start thinking about things before you just jump into something. There's lots of things involved here, and it's real wisdom. And then finally, he closes the chapter and says, but she's happier if I, she abides, uh, and I think also I have the Spirit of God. And, and Paul is not saying, uh, I think I'm right on this, I'm not sure. There are people in Corinth saying, we're spiritual, listen to us. And Paul says, wait a minute, I'm an apostle of Christ, I think I got the Spirit of God too. So listen to my advice. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're done. Are you happy? We're done. It's packed. 
It's important. And, 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 and if you've got questions in your mind, you've got, go back to it, man. Go back to the text. But let me encourage you. When you go back to this text, remember the truth of being purchased, of this world passing away, and your true personal identity in Christ. It will change us. Let's have a word of prayer.